everyone, welcome to Luke Law, a quick deep dive into a folklore topic where I share some of the stories from around the world that have piqued my interest. This episode's topic feels to me like the modern cryptids one, in that it feels strange I haven't tackled it yet. Now, bit of a disclaimer. Talking famous haunted houses means we inevitably are going to end up crossing paths with Ed and Lorraine Warren. I'm not going to tackle the real-life Warrens head-on here. I hold that they are dangerous frauds, and I was very surprised to find that this is still controversial with people defending the couple. I'm not arguing that there is no such thing as spiritualists or otherwise topics they tackled and even raised awareness of, but in real life they are not the cute heroic couple of the Conjuring movies. If I talk the Warrens, it'll probably be some sort of live show where it can be opened up to a wider discussion, and not just by me preaching, but I'm going to have to mostly avoid them here where they pop up, just to get on with it. Anyone who can't wait to tackle such a debate head-on, feel free to approach me on social media to have a discussion, but it's a can of worms I'll be sidestepping on here. This disclaimer out of the way, let's look at some of the most famous, or rather infamous, haunted houses from around the world. A famous fraud. Okay, this is kind of the elephant in the room, so let's just get it out of the way. I'm talking about the Amityville House, very well popularised in the film series The Amityville Horror and popping up in The Conjuring 2. So the story goes, the new family move in after a family mass murder vacates the property, and weirdness follows. The walls bleed. A demon pig is talking to the children. There may be a bloody passage to hell in the basement. Calling a priest in to bless the house results in the house kicking a priest's ass. The family must flee in the night from the house they can't afford, then cash in on the story. The house they can't afford, and then the cashing in after, are the big red flags here. So too are the warrants popping up, but I promise not to get into that just yet. So, case closed, open and shut, successfully occasionally vaguely racist to indigenous people's horror franchise all in good fun from this point onwards. Right? Well, the house may be both the location of a fraudulent case, and also haunted in unrelated ways. It's weird, but bear with me. The original incident that did in fact happen, the shooting of the family by a family member, has some outstanding weird details. No neighbour noticed the gunfire at 3am, even though some did report the family dog barking. The family inside the house did not appear disturbed by a family member going from bedroom to bedroom with a rifle. Every murder victim died face down in bed, with no sign of a struggle, and while in court the killer claimed to have drugged them, there were no traces of drugs found during forensic investigation. The killer, who will not be named as they don't deserve any recognition, did happily die in prison this year, so good riddance there. But these details regarding the unheard sounds and how six family members all died face down, with no actual sedatives found in toxicology reports, is a disturbing mystery. Speculate what you will there. Then the scam occurs. Pay that no mind, that's a different documentary. Let's skip forward to something supernatural and disturbing instead. After the home was empty, and before it was inhabited again with no further issues reported going forwards, multiple paranormal investigations followed. Nothing reported in the scam was found since that was made up, but something else did happen. Google, if you dare, the Amateurville Ghost Boy photo. I can't even look at that damn thing in broad daylight without getting goosebumps. The house was empty and well trodden by quite the carnival of people trying to catch paranormal activity to verify this. And this photo is taken. It just plain looks and feels wrong. What appears to be a child peeking out around a corner that is photographed exactly wrong to make it creepy as hell. 
The Amityville Horror, as we know it, inciting incident and following pop culture presence, is a heavily debunked fraud. What came just before and after, though, is weird as all hell, before it settled back into just being a normal house. A very angry witch. 1817, a family began to see strange animals. Distorted giant birds and dogs would appear to watch people about the property, following some people around. At night, there would be the sounds of dogs fighting, but no one could ever find them to break them up. Gnawing sounds at their beds would disturb the family in the night, as did the sound of chains being dragged through the house. The head of the house found his mouth falling into paralysis at times, even feeling the sensation of a stick in his throat. The youngest daughter began to be slapped and pinched so hard she'd be covered in bruises. Eventually, a friend trying to help came to the realisation that everything was down to a single spirit, and they began to talk to it to find out what it wanted. The more they talked to it, the more articulate it became, even beginning to hold entire conversations. Asked who it was, the spirit responded that it was Old Kate Bat's Witch. And from there, the Bell Witch was well and truly on the haunt. Responding to being called Kate, apparently liking this as part of the Bell Witch becoming more talkative, the entity made many claims. The first and simplest being, I am a spirit. I once was very happy, but have been disturbed. But also such wild claims as how they were linked to an ancient Indian burial ground on the property, something which prompted the son Drew Bell and a friend to go on a futeless treasure hunt around the property, which I can't help but feel was a bad idea even if it wasn't just a Bell Witch screwing with them. The Bell Witch, or Kate as it liked to be called, seemed to be a poltergeist with a constant presence once it got fully up to speed. Able to successfully answer any attempt to test it, reciting anything used to challenge it and able to mimic family members from around the world, eventually the Bell Witch escalated in its haunting and declared that it was going to kill Old Jack, the name it had given John Bell Sr. The Bell Witch emphasised this murderous announcement with a barrage of threats and curses that resulted in afflictions upon the family, until finally John Bell Sr. died from being poisoned. At his funeral and wake, the entity would celebrate by singing old drinking songs over the attempt of anyone to say anything nice about the deceased. While this case is quite old now, I'm spotting a commonality here, a turning point where they turned something minor into something major. When faced with a malevolent entity out to choose violence, they named it and went on keep acknowledging it. Based on a pile of stories I've encountered over the years, I would suggest not doing that. Everything always gets worse from that point onwards. You may feel some sympathy for the Bell family at all this. Uh, counterpoint, the Bell family had slaves, so screw them. While at time of recording closed due to Covid concerns, there are tours available of the farm and the Bell Witch cave beneath it. Assorted reports of hauntings have persisted across the two centuries and change running to the modern day if you want to go and explore the property once it opens up again. Even the surrounding area still has weirdness going on, my favourite being from the 1960s. This story came up in the 80s from a local gas station owner called H.C. Sanders. He came forth with the story from his youth that he had had a breakdown across the road from the Bellwitch Cave, and as he began the long walk to get help, he noticed a strange-looking rabbit appear from the woods that began to follow behind him. If he sped up, the uncanny-looking rabbit thing would speed up with him. Eventually, the strange creature freaked him out to the point where he began to run in a panic, which, of course, the rabbit thing kept pace right behind him. Eventually defeated by exhaustion, the poor man gives up and sits down on a log to catch his breath. The weird rabbit thing proceeds to jump up on the other end of that log, look him in the eye, and speak. It said, 
Hell of a race we had though, wasn't it, before heading back into the woods? That part of Tennessee definitely seems to be a nexus of weirdness centred on the old farm with its Bellwitch cave beneath. If anyone has their own experiences from there, I would love to hear them. Probably very fake, but interesting. Back to The Conjuring 2 with this one, let's talk the Enfield Poltergeist. This is an odd one that, thanks to pop culture osmosis, most people probably have an idea about. It isn't just the more recent Hollywood horror either, there's also been plenty of assorted dramatic adaptations and documentaries of the haunting, even news reports from the time. I think what really resonated here was how normal the home was. No gothic mansion or castle or plantation, it was just a random council house in London, government subsidised living for poorer families. Yet the story goes that the teenage girl of this otherwise indistinguishable affordable home began to be disturbed in the night by what's basically a classic case of a poltergeist. Weird noises, items being thrown, furniture being moved around, even the girls being thrown out of bed. Evidence began to pile up, with photos of the girls apparently being levitated, and one of the girls speaking in a strange voice that was supposedly that of the cantankerous old ghost of the former occupier. This is a weirdly contentious case. It's all supposed to be fake, but it caught a lot of attention as a fur proponent of supporters whom skeptics would clap back against saying that they were being too credulous. Ed Warren popped up at one point to insist it was a demon, which is why this became The Conjuring 2, but he was far from alone. Everyone wanted a piece of this. But the teen girls involved are also recorded laughing it all off as a fake. This is one of those odd ones that some haunted stuff happened around what's reported as a hoax such as what should be reliable third-party observers like police responding to calls of disturbance, going on to swear they saw a chair in the kitchen move on its own. It could simply be mass hysteria escalating out of control, but it also had a lot of investigators convinced something was going on in that otherwise innocuous house. If you ascribe to the theory that teen girls going through puberty can manifest a poltergeist, I guess this works both ways in a meta sense. Either a poltergeist came to bother the teen girls involved, or the teen girls involved faked a poltergeist. Either way, there's a direct correlation between teen girls and a poltergeist in this one. Oh good, the grudge is based on a real story. Who else here remembers being terrified by one Zhuan the grudge movie or another? Well, good news, it's not only based on folklore of Japan, it's also based on a real haunted house, the Nagayo Yellow House. It thankfully isn't quite as theatrically devastating as the fictional Seiki house of the movies, but that's something of a cold comfort. So the story goes, anyone who so much as sets foot inside the Yellow House property would go mad, or even die. It's so simple, there's no real elaboration on that. It was a spiritual Chernobyl, don't go play there or it'll make you ill. I've covered Onryo, or the Vengeful Spirits of Japan, way back on episode 14, Case Studies in Death Curses, but I'll chuck in a quick refresher as I go through the steps to how to get this notorious and feared yellow house. An Onryo is a dangerous spirit to the point of being unstoppable, and part of this is their duon, or grudge. Even with the Onryo itself moving on or being forced to move on via exorcism, the duon can remain. It's like a spiritual contamination and by coming into contact it can be spread to other people and places. Think of it like an invisible oil that causes bad luck and sickness. An Onryo and its accompanying Juon is no laughing matter. They're a paranormal disaster should anything happen that is so unfair and terrible it would make one. We then specifically have the urban legend of Kakayo. 
Kakayo Seiki of the movies is now an extensively fleshed out horror movie monster with over two decades of story installments, beginning back with the student short films of the original director back in 98, and new series installments as recent as the Duo on Origins series on Netflix in 2020. But there was an original, much simpler Kakeo, which was a regional urban legend that inspired the film Kakeo. And it was a simple one, it was just, this is Onryo, it's gonna get you. So, I might actually need to look into some original Japanese to try and get some more detailed stories on that, but it does, from what I've seen in English translations, there was a Kakeo, now there's a film Kakeo. This, then, is further combined with the Nagayo Yellow House. Simple but striking, it was an abandoned house in the neighbourhood that people would tell stories about. To enter it is to fall ill, or even worse. It's hard to really expand on that outside of fiction structuring a narrative around it. The recent Netflix series is more a collection of Japanese urban legends, and the original Nagayo Yellow House gets some references in presentation and use of colour. But there's something about this minimalist yet devastating haunted house which is enough. To come into contact alone is enough to doom you. The best you can hope for is sickness with only temporary madness. What is this lingering, invisible Juon doing to people that your only option is to avoid it? Thankfully the house was so notorious it straight up got knocked down and turned into a parking lot. I have not as yet managed to find if there's a cursed parking lot somewhere in the Gaio, but so far where exorcists have failed, a bulldozer of a tarmac chaser has succeeded. Digging under the modern material tomb to touch the original foundations would probably be a bad idea, and I worry what's going on with the rest of the debris from the demolition, but it does seem that levelling it and sealing the remains may actually do the trick. Which is good to know, because an Onryo's Juon is frankly terrifying. That's all for this episode. From the discourse surrounding the Conjuring 3, I do know there's definitely some Warren supporters who won't be too happy with me. It is something I want to address in such a way that people who disagree with me get a voice too. We'll see if we can do anything fun as conventions reopen in the near future for that. I'm open to friendly discussions online as well in the meantime. I'm not trying to cause arguments here, but there's a lot to discuss on that particular topic, which exists outside of any wider belief in the paranormal. If you do want to contact me, there's the show's dedicated email, lukelawgsg at gmail.com, and the general show email, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. Both myself and the main show are really easy to find on Facebook and Twitter if you want to make day-to-day -day contact, as well as a very active Instagram account a lot of the community gets involved with. The smaller Lukelaw Instagram is still a bit of a work in progress, but it has at least got some neat stuff on it. If you want to support the show directly, definitely check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. It'll get you access to all sorts of GSG goodies at different levels, my incentive being that Lukelaw episodes go out to patrons a bit early. As ever though, the absolute best thing anyone can do to support the show is to give it a listen. Share this around if you think you may know someone who might be interested, leave a review if you get the chance to help signal boost me, and most of all, I simply hope you enjoy what I'm doing here. Goodbye for now. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. 
Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.